I just kept going back to the pre-product market fit companies because it's so much fun to try and crack the case of what this product is going to be and how it's going to work, especially for small startups. Usually there isn't a lot of resources available. And when you don't have a lot of resources available, every little thing you work on has to be thoughtfully considered and prioritized. Ahoy there! You're listening to Product FM, a podcast focused on everything you need to find product market fit. Welcome everyone to a new episode of Product FM. Today we're here with Tali Guetta. Tell us a bit about yourself. Hi Tomer. Um, sure, I'm Tali Guetta. I live in Tel Aviv in Israel. I'm the head of product of a startup called Acumen.io. The product I, I'm currently working on is actually called Go Retro. We're building tools for scrum teams to help them have better meetings, have better scrum ceremonies. Right now we're focusing on retrospectives, but in the future we're going to expand to cover other ceremonies like the planning and the one-on-ones and dailies, etc., My background is in user experience. I worked at different companies with actually really cool products. So my first company was CodeMonkey. They built uh, a platform that teaches kids how to code through an online game, which is a really fun tool. Also a fun game to play, but a fun tool for, for teachers or for parents that want to introduce coding to kids. And then I worked on a product called Nanit, which is a smart baby monitor. So it was an IOT device, a camera that you put on top of your baby's crib, and it uses computer vision to analyze what your baby's doing in the crib and create personalized recommendations on how to get the baby to sleep better at night. That was a really cool product. So the topic we want to talk about today is continuous user feedback. As a product manager leading one product in an early stage startup, a lot of the work is around finding product market fit and just doing anything that's needed to find the early traction in some kind of product. And a lot of it is very unstructured work. It's not the same as joining a very developed company with you know, a very clear product organization. There's a lot more outbound work with external users and prioritizing, getting feedback, implementing this feedback into the cycle, making sure we're prioritizing the right things. So there's a big range of topics here. And this is also a phase that I personally have been part of many times. And I think it's fascinating. It's also one of the hardest things ever. And I think that's why some people get addicted to it. Finding product market fit kind of from zero to one, finding something that people need. Let's dive in. Why is collecting user input so important? It's a great question. I think I'm guilty of being addicted to that phase. I started my current role uh, about five months ago, and when I was out there looking for a job, I, I had a lot of conversations with myself to decide what kind of uh, company am I looking for, and I just kept going back to the 
pre-product market fit companies because it's so much fun to try and crack the case of what this product is going to be and how it's going to work. So yeah, to answer your question, why is it important? So especially for small startups or small product teams, usually there isn't a lot of resources available. And when you don't have a lot of resources available, every little thing you work on has to be thoughtfully considered and prioritized. And let's say you have five developers available or even less if you're working in, in pods or squads or empowered product teams or however you want to call it. You have to make the most amount of impact on the users and the company in the least amount of resources that you're going to use. So... Talking to customers is one way to validate that you're going to spend your time on the right things. Basically, you're trying to get as much confirmation as you can before doing the work that you're going to work on the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's about the lack of resources, right? Even if it's one, two, three, four, five developers, it's not too much. Every month or every sprint is another a large part of the The company's resources are you know being used so it's uh, really important to make sure that we're working on the right things is there a specific type of startup stage that this process of collecting continuous user feedback is more relevant to I think it's always relevant in a product life cycle or in a product development life cycle even if you're working for a unicorn company with a lot of resources and a lot of money you still need to To do it it's still very helpful and we'll still make sure that you're working on the right things but I think it's more critical in the pre product market fit phase because you're usually running low on money running low on developers running low on product people and you need to find that product market fit as soon as possible or achieve some of your goals to get the next funding round it's usually you It's one or the other. So when you're trying to do that and you are trying to find the people that will be willing to um, pay for your product, talking to them will make sure that you're actually building what they'll be what they'll agree to pay for. Yeah, and I think in a more developed company when there's no lack of resources, you know, maybe fumbling the, this process and things taking a bit longer doesn't have such a... survival impact as it does with young startups that they need to deliver quickly and have something to show to get uh, approved for the next round of the game yeah okay I've done this process a few times of interviewing users and finding out their pain points and one thing I have sometimes an issue with and maybe this is a great place to clarify it is how important is it to define the hypothesis that you want to validate before the user interviews or can you just jump right in I think it depends on the problem at hand for example if you're doing ex- like exploration to find the next feature that you're going to build or the next I know if you're a SAS business and you need to find more features that are going to be behind the paywall then your hypothesis can be pretty wide. What are people, what do they need that we can deliver? But if you're trying to find something specific, then 
a good hypothesis can just focus you better and make sure that you're asking the right questions to get an answer to this specifically. Especially if you're doing user interviews, it's very easy to get distracted and start asking questions that are irrelevant or not going to help your specific hypothesis. I think, yeah, it depends. It depends on your research tool. But in general, it's important to focus as much as possible. I think everything, I think focus is the name of the game here. Uh, we keep circling back to that. And what are the kind of the common methods that you would recommend most product people try when they're first attempting to get input from this a certain market it's a, so the it's a combination of how much time you have to put into collecting feedback versus how much feedback you need so the easiest to do um, is probably do a survey because you can send it pretty easily to a big chunk of users usually you around five to ten percent will actually reply to the survey and then you can get a nice chunk of data um, pretty quickly analyze it and keep going but the problem with a survey is that it's not deep enough and most of the answers will be touching upon a problem and not really digging deep into it so I actually like to do a combination of a survey and interviews and I would usually start with interviews and you know have around five interviews with users that are in my demographics that are relevant to the specific issue that I'm trying to solve and then I will use the survey to validate that it's that the responses that I got from five users are relevant to the biggest cohort of my users and if I see that there's a lot of discrepancies between the What the interviews said and what the survey said it means that I'm missing something and I have to go back and understand what is it that I missed that's a really cool method I, I like that option because yeah sometimes people would say something different than they would write and it's also the question if they're gonna actually do something different than they, they talk about in the interview so you're saying when you see cases where you see conflicting answers between the survey and the interviews and It makes you question that maybe something in the process was skewed a bit and then you doubled mm-hmm. back and check yeah maybe I asked the wrong questions or they weren't clear enough or maybe I'm not talking to the same type of users for example in my product right now I have a few demographics I have scrum masters I have development team leads I have developers I have product managers and Asking the same question to each one of these users will generate a whole different response because as a product manager running uh, a retrospective meeting, I have different goals from the meeting versus a scrum master who's trying to perfect the way we develop things. Yeah, when stuff don't make don't add up, you need to go back and see why they're not adding up. Is it the people? Is it the question? Is it? your hypothesis maybe that is wrong mm-hmm. so if you see maybe two types of answers within this five five member group which initially you assumed are the same target I guess you assumed you would have similar answers so you're saying one of the one of the issues could be that there's actually a sub target audience that you can segment even further yeah exactly and what happens when you understand this do you Just to go that de- go deeper into just one of them or just 
live with the fact that you have two? Usually I would try to validate that I really have to. I either will have more interviews if I can, because it's really interviews are time consuming. You have to prepare, you have to find the people, you have to have the whole like one hour conversation with them. Then you have to summarize everything and just reading your footnotes is a whole another hour, but then summarizing is a whole bunch of time as well. So if I have the time, I'll do more interviews. But if I don't, I'll just make sure that the survey that I'm building is built in a way that will show me those two audiences. Or maybe it's not that important and I can just go about my original plan and see how it unfolds with the survey. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right, let's talk a bit about incentives. So you want to interview these five users how do you actually do the call to action for the interview and what's in it for me, for the user? Why are they agreeing? It's a great question. So my goal is usually to find users that are highly engaged with the product. We use intercom for communicating with, sorry, we use intercom to communicate with users. So I have events in intercom that tell me if the user is engaged or not. So I would usually target very engaged users uh, that have been using the product for a while. And that probably means that they're invested. And if they're invested, they will probably want to see the product that they use improve. So I would reach out to them like that. If they don't respond or if it's really hard to, to find people to talk to, usually we would also offer them compensation. So even like a $50 gift card to Amazon is a great incentive to give to give users. And it's usually if you're doing five interviews, that's not a lot of money. And it the value of the feedback that you're going to get is worth a lot more. But definitely first trying to get them to talk to me because they love the product and they want to see it improved. But if that doesn't work, then yes, offering them money or free usage if it's a paid subscription something yeah that will give them value as well so is is your kind of strategy usually to send them a message offering them to jump on a call to help us improve the product and if they don't respond positively then you escalate it and offer the yes though i would try to do it to different audiences uh because <laughs> It's shitty. Like if they didn't respond and then they saw that I offered them money, they would just, it would just encourage a behavior of not responding to first messages because maybe there's going to be money if I wait. So I would usually choose different cohorts to do that with. But yeah, it's, you need to know how to reach out to users and how to get their attention. I admit it doesn't always work. It depends on the type of user and it depends on how engaged and invested they are in your product. In Nanit, for example, because the product was a baby monitor and it's about your family, your baby, then users are usually highly engaged because they have all the motivation in the world to make it work. It's also a product that they paid at least $300 for, if not more, including the subscriptions and accessories. So that was pretty easy to get people to communicate with us. In Acumen right now, it's uh, proving to be a bit harder because our audience is developers and they 
don't really read emails and they're pretty busy, so they don't really care. So I'm getting more success with Scrum Masters and product managers because they love to talk, <laughs> but not so much success with developers. Indeed we do. I'll drill down on the hard part here. With the $50 gift certificate, incentivize this developer to talk to you? Yeah. Okay. Who doesn't want free money for having know. a conversation? You could argue that someone who you know, earns enough might be, uh, could value his time a bit more. But I think it's also a nice kind of gesture. gesture. Yeah. All right. Another question was a bit more tactical. How do you store the interview data, which kind of helps you analyze it later? Is there any special methods here or kind of formats which could become an interesting best practice in storing user input? Yeah. So actually, we use, for interviews, we use Zoom. So we record the call and we use Notion to document our product and to have all sorts of company-wide accessible information. So all of our interviews are recorded and summarized and uploaded to Notion. And there's like, um, you can search by the name of the user or the name of the company or the type of call we had. And Notion is really great in that way because it lets you build like a database inside of their product. So it's really awesome. And I use Product Board as a tool to document like feature requests and have some sort of like a voting mechanism internal voting mechanisms for like how much value will it give to the user versus how complicated it is to develop it. So the, both of these tools together give me some sort of understanding as to what I should prioritize first. But when it comes to surveys, it's a bit more complicated. When it's surveys, usually I'll do like a summarizing presentation and then I would just document the presentation itself and not the survey. Really cool. I, I actually, we have a similar process with the recording in Notion. I haven't heard about Product Board. I think that's uh, really cool. And also... Yeah, Product uh, Board is a really awesome tool. I actually started using it not too long ago. It allows you to bring in feature requests that are coming from all sorts of places. So if you're using Zendesk or Intercom for customer support, you can bring that in. You can bring in emails. And if we, for example, have G2 reviews, so we can bring in the reviews in as well. And then you can tag everything per user or per company, and it allows you to create all sorts of views if you want to see if you're in a B2B startup and you want to see uh, which of your biggest customers ask for a specific feature, then you can give it different weights. So it's, it's cool. <laughs> and you, you document the conversations, the interviews also in product board? No, I would usually reference them with a link to the mm. notion entry. And then I would just highlight the feature requests in product board. Got it. Okay. We're also researching a uh, tool now called uh, Dovetail. Not you heard okay. of them? It's a mix, I think, of no. these two. You import the conversations with the customers to Dovetail, 
it there's like a gong indexes all all the transcriptions and you can search by what someone what a user might have said tag those users mm-hmm. to a specific product release or request and then i think also manage the roadmap internally so it sounds like yeah i'll include these all these links in the notes in whatever platform that you're now listening to this episode on so good some uh, some some tactical help as well okay so we had the interviews we collected the data we added to our notion we tagged everything we did all this work now how do we start utilizing this feedback in the product development loop I usually use it to prioritize as a product manager you have a very nice view of what are the company goals and where we're trying to get to so usually I connect any piece of feedback to a specific API or OKRs if you're using OKRs and then this just helps us prioritize what we want to do if we still didn't really get an answer to what we were looking for uh, because the answers were vague or there wasn't a clear winner then we would usually brainstorm internally um, and we'll try to make a decision as a team what do we feel is the right next step it could have all sorts of considerations it could even be a technical consideration because if users said that both of these features that we thought about have the same value to them then we can probably prioritize the easier one first because that would make us one step closer to giving them value or getting money for us whichever way you want to mm-hmm. look at it mm-hmm. all right so you can take their feedback if it fits one of the um, the, the okrs you have or the, in the things that are currently on your table and if it doesn't then you go to the kind of the brainstorming board and discuss if you want to maybe make a change maybe there's something a bit easier win that you can go after mm-hmm. or maybe just just disregard this feedback for now and keep it in the backlog yeah or even neglect an idea sometimes the research shows that we just need to give up this idea because it's not good and that's also okay because it means you mm-hmm. You saved yourself a whole lot of time and a whole lot of headache of developing something that wouldn't cut it, that wouldn't give you what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But there's a lot of times in situations where you could do a feature or product and it might even work. In the short term it just doesn't fit the long-term strategy of the company so then all times it definitely makes sense to reject in a, a current a certain feature mm-hmm. yeah people are very afraid of rejecting ideas and i think we i think it's something <laughs> yeah, we need to always, embrace uh, more you can never know what you're missing out on <laughs> yeah it's the fomo <laughs> Let's talk a bit about what to do when you know you try this whole process and it doesn't work. We can't get the users to actually go on the call with us. Maybe we're in a niche market. Um, what kind of alternative before the methods themselves, is there a specific market that is difficult to gather interview data on? Um. I assume there is. Um, I'm sure that classic B2B companies where 
there's a very strong sales department that wouldn't necessarily let the product talk to the customers. Um, that's probably one of the hardest scenarios to be in because you need to make the salesperson your ally in order to trust that they will ask the right questions and will deliver the feedback without any personal interpretation. But I think that if your if your target audience is a small niche market, then probably it will be a bit harder. But there are ways like there are ways to find your market. Uh, it might take time and money to get to it, but there's also there's always a way to find the the person to to talk to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're saying there's some cases where there's a gatekeeper which is keeping you from this mm-hmm. your target market that would definitely be a bit more difficult. Yes. You just have to get creative. All right, let's talk creative now. What alternative methods have you seen work or even considered which could also be helpful to people who can't get success in the traditional way? So the most the the first creative method that I like the most is communities. Usually the internet is a very big place. There's usually a community for everything. Mm-hmm. So community is always a great place to find people, even if they won't agree to talk to you. But sitting on the sidelines as an observer and reading their threads and their comments and their thoughts um, in it of itself could be a really great research platform for you. If you don't find a community, you can always start one yourself because if you didn't find it, maybe it means that there are other people out there looking for it and they don't see it. So you can be the one that starts that community and gets all the people talking where you actually moderate and control the conversation, which is very powerful, but also very time consuming. Other than that, you can look at reviews. So if you don't have reviews on your own product, you can look at reviews of your competitors. If you don't have access to that, social media is also a great solution. Twitter, especially because people love to go to Twitter to Uh, talk about the things they're not happy about. Asking friends and family if they know people that are relevant and try to use your connections to get to the target audience, that's also a possibility. Reddit is also a great place to look for people. Mm -hmm. Like we can, you can make like a map of those with, with the arrows and then the charts. You always want to start with the interview and kind of work your way down. If you don't succeed, you go a bit broader. You go to their where they're already posting about this kind of content, like the reviews. And, and if you can't find that, then you just go to where they're just talking about anything, which is more like, and when you really can't do anything, you just ask anyone you can, if they can hook you up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Connections is a huge, amazing tool to use, but it does mean that you're risking burning a bridge and interviews are so informative and so useful, but they're hard to come by and they're very time consuming. So it's definitely, uh, there's a pros and cons to everything and you just need to find the right thing for you in terms of resources and availability based on your research questions. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think maybe later we should talk about, maybe we can maybe create this kind of like a infographic about how to get interviews, the ultimate guide. 
I think if we take a lot of the things you're saying here and put them into a nice graphic, it'd be really cool. So if you're listening to this, yeah, that sounds awesome. maybe there is a link to this infographic that we have yet to made <laughs> in the description. Hopefully there is. All right. The last part of the, of the episode before we wrap up, and this is uh, the part which I was the most uh, interested in, automating the process. So I was uh, when I did my research on you, I was uh, listening or reading one of the, your previous podcast transcripts, and I saw something about automation. So you had this process of, you know what? I'll let you let you explain it. What kind of things did you automate in this whole process? So in my previous company at Nanit, we we built a beta community. So we built a Facebook group where all our beta users used as a community, both to discuss their own personal day-to-day parenting stuff and to give us feedback. And getting people onboarded to that community was very time-consuming because they had to sign an NDA and we had to filter them and see who is the right profile for us and who isn't. So my team was actually able to create an automation for that where we would identify a group of users that are based on specific criteria that we defined. For example, we had uh, a phase where we needed mostly Android users. So we would use Intercom to filter out our users and export a, a list of users that are potentially good users for our beta group. Then we would email them a survey and after they respond to the survey with filtering questions about themselves, this is where the automation started. So the answers to their survey would populate on Airtable. That would send us a Slack message with the details. Then we would be able to mark in Airtable if we want that person or not in the beta. And depends on the answer that would trigger an email message to them either with a follow-up NDA or with thank you, but it's not possible at the moment. After they signed the NDA, that would trigger another Slack message to us saying that it's time to add them to, to the group and to was it test flight or the Play Store. And after we had added them and marked it at Airtable, it would trigger the last message of like, welcome to the group with a Facebook link and everything. Wow. So that's one very complex way to automate it, but there are simpler ways to do it. So let's maybe talk about the dream scenario. As uh, someone that does a product, you know, a big part of my role as well, my my dream wish, my this is your genie in the bottle wish is I wish I could have user interviews every week. I would decide how much time I, want, I have this week and they would just be populated in my calendar. How does one do that? So that's pretty easy, actually. You need to set up Calendly with the calendar link that you that people can just schedule time with you. And you, if you use Intercom or a tool similar to that, you can set up an automatic message that is being sent based on specific criteria that you set, and then this message will be sent automatically every time the user matches the criteria. And this is where it gets complicated. If your email is good and people interact with it, then you can expect to get those interviews 
automatically appear in your calendar. But if your email isn't that great, then you need to keep tweaking it a little bit and tweaking the messages until you get to a point where people just schedule calls with you because they got an email to do it. Okay, so if, and this is assuming you have users actively using your app, right? So the intercom would basically segment them and qualify them. Whoever qualified would receive a templated email with the request to the interview and the calendar link, and that would create the the meeting itself. Is there a way to send them directly on intercom a message while they're in their app with the interview request and the calendar? You know, skip the email part? Yeah. Yes, it's when they are live in the app, yeah, they can the message can pop up right inside of it. You just need to be mindful because sometimes they are actually using the product and maybe it's not a good time to show a message right now. I usually prefer to start with in-app and then have it fall back to email if they haven't opened it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't always work, mm-hmm. especially because some people just ignore their emails. <laughs> people oh the worst yeah how can you see the badge that you have new emails and just ignore them i just don't understand that <laughs> okay so that's one other maze you can do what about ideas you can do if you do not have active users using the app and you just want to start interviewing a lot of people on a regular basis how would you kind of source those that kind of automation there are tools out there to do it. There's a there's a tool called user testing that helps you find users to talk to. Some of the creative ways we used in the past was actually ads on Facebook that invited people to reply to surveys. That's not really relevant for interviews because in order for people to actually agree to talk to you, they have to see a real person. But surveys is something that you can get responses for with ads. If you don't have users yet and you need interviews, probably automation is not the right Mm. solution for you because for automation, you need a pool that you can always pull Mm. from. Okay. So that's a bit more advanced only if you have users. Okay. So if not, then the interviews should be just part of the PMF phase and getting the first users in. That's definitely a challenge, but I think it's part of the fun of trying to crack the case of the product like you have to find a way to to get people to talk Mm -hmm. to you Mm -hmm. when i was at code monkey so the game was in english but we were in israel it was hard for us to find kids in the target audience because most of the kids at seven years in israel don't really know Mm -hmm. english so we had to get creative and find communities of uh, parents that are not from Israel, that are English speakers, and get their kids on board. So usually connections is the way to go with that. I think back then we found an English-speaking school in Israel and reached out to them and then connected through a parent to more parents. Mm. But it's definitely a challenge. Got it. Okay, so yeah, if you're just getting started... And automation is a bit more, it's not for you at this moment. Okay. So I think we covered a lot of topics and we started with the whole continuous user feedback. Why is it important to have interviews? What kind of startups should have, should be focused on this? How important it is to define the hypothesis, some common methods to get interviews, how we incentivize them, 
how we analyze and store the data, and how we use this in the process of prioritizing new features. And also we talked a bit about some edge cases when some markets or if there's a gatekeeper, it gets a bit harder to reach the target market and you have to get a bit more creative. And finally, we finished with the automation. So if you have a user base, you can do some pretty cool things and always make sure that you're going to make the right adjustments using continuous feedback. Yeah, so I think that's a pretty good, pretty good episode for everyone. Did you have fun? Yes, I did. Awesome. Awesome. Going into this, I didn't know like how much I'm going to have to say, but I think this is one of those things that when you start talking, you realize how much already about this. So it actually surprised me a little bit too. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. So thanks for tuning in, guys. And we'll see you again for another product episode.